Greetings ladies and mental gents and welcome to the batch video for the web novel Out of Space from the website Royal Road. In this video we will be doing chapters 273 to 276 and as always I hope that you enjoy and if you do please consider supporting the channel. Chapter 273 You Don't Mess with the UN Lance Corporal Ladin of the 2nd Battalion Falcon Company, Platoon 3, Section 4, laid low as a concealed foxhole, watching the appearance of the 1st Imperial River Barge being paddled up by slaves coming down the river before him and his section. His company lieutenant hissed urgently, Keep your heads down. If those blue boys spot you, you're gonna get toilet cleaning duties for the whole damn month. The men instinctively ducked their heads lower. No one wants to clean the toilets for a month. Ladin gently parted the drapes of the foliage before him and slowly slid his M1 magelock forward and leaned against the buttstock. Make ready, the lieutenant whispered as the NCOs echoed slowly down the line. The men checked their weapons, removing safeties and aiming at the fast-approaching river ships. Any time now. Suddenly, a low, soft buzz slowly roared louder and the water around the lead ships churned out the water splashes and smoke. The roar of several biplanes screamed over the hidden marines, and the Air Force Cobras timed their attack perfectly. The Imperial soldiers on board the river barges were on alert after experiencing a sudden attack before. Almost immediately, thundercracks and lightning streaked from the ships to connect with the fast-evading Cobras. Loud cracks and smoke and sparks erupted from one of the Cobras, but a lightning spell did not appear to affect the Cobras, much to the surprise of the Imperial soldiers and sailors. The Cobras were built with static wick, which was a piece of metal electrically grounded to the frame of the airplane, with one or two spikes or needles on the end. It was housed in a fiberglass rod and insulated from the biplane, and the spikes concentrated the electrical charge around them, and since they were connected to the airframe, they allowed the plane to dissipate the static electricity it may build up into the air. The lightning spell slammed against the airframe of the biplane, only to go through a dissipator that was discharged safely away from the plane, but minor damages were still dealt to the wooden airframe, causing it to catch fire. The pilot in the smoking cobra hit the lightning bolt with his fire extinguisher, which breathing the plane in a white cloud which doused the burning embers of the wooden frame. The pilot spun the agile fighter in the air, further dousing the remaining embers before clicking back to engage the Imperial fleet. The Cobras broke formation and focused their attention in the middle and near the Imperial River, their 50 cal and 20mm cannons punching holes easily in the fat and slow river barges. Platoon 3, Lieutenant yelled, target the forward vessel, Platoon 4, aim for the next vessel, down the line, fire. Ladin had his sights over one of the deck blisters where several soldiers and sailors were crewing it. On hearing the order to fire, he squeezed the trigger. Feeling the sharp kick of the rifle against his shoulder, and he vaguely saw the figure of his aiming at fell. He quickly worked the rifle, bolt, and switched target, aiming for the confused ballista crews and fired again and again. Tatiana cursed as she instinctively ducked when the strange flying creatures roared overhead. She flung her hands out and chanted, Lightning Bolt! To her surprise, she clearly saw her level 3 less lightning spell hit the belly of the flying creatures, but it just wagged its strange body and puff of white smoke covered its whole body before the creature looped back and started roaring back in anger and spitting some kind of spells at her ships again. What manner of monsters are they? Tajana clenched her fists tightly. 
Blisters and bowmen, take them down. She raised her hands up and the magic circle started forming in the air as she readied another spell to repent the dangerous flying monsters, when suddenly a narrow banks on both sides of the river erupted in fires and thunder. Mills had looped his arms around the harness of Blue Dragon and clung as tight as he could to the dragon. He could smell the strong, musky, and earthy smell coming from the glossy, blue-reddish scales. The rest of the marine raiders, fourteen in total, including him, all similarly hooked themselves onto the harness of the dragon on both sides of its penny. The mid and rear of the fleet are tangled up by the cobras, Stamford yelled from the top of the dragon to Mills. Your marines have engaged the forward elements of the fleet. The smoke from the burning ships will provide cover for us. You guys ready? Stamford yelled again. Always ready, the raiders cried out. Hoorah! Let's go kick some rear. Blue Thunder gave a growl and he leapt into the air, flapping his wings mildly, and the marine raiders hooked on the sides of his bed. He yelled out in excitement. There! You see her! Stamford yelled at Blue Thunder, who, without a word, aimed towards the river barges where he could see the red called up dragon. Rustras! Blue Thunder roared out as he closed the distance to the ship, easily through the smoke. He flapped his wings and hurried to a hover, barely a couple meters over the deck of the river barge, where the sailors and soldiers looked up in shock and horror at the sudden appearance of a heavyweight dragon. Go, go, go! Stamford yelled at once he was certain Blue Thunder was directly over the ship, just as the dragon's aircrew manning the three MGs fired into the crowd of Imperials. Half a dozen lines were thrown down and they saw were over the ship, and the marine raiders hit the quick release on their restraints when they heard the order. They fast roped down in lines of two's waves, midst the surprised and dying Imperials, and whipped their weapons out to finish off those still standing while the aircrew detached the lines. Blue Thunder flapped his wings and leaned forward, flying away to provide air cover that was too big and slow of a target for ballistas if he remained hovering in the ship. Raz, hold on, I'll be back. Mills shook his head at the dragon which vanished into a plume of black smoke and concentrated on his mission. The river barge was built in a wide rectangle shape with a squarish castle like at the top and back portion, almost like an ancient Chinese or Japanese warship. Two ballistas that were larger than the three-inch gun's batteries sat on the forward side of the flat deck, while the captive red dragon was tied down on the bow of the barge. The covering fire from the MGs on board Blue Thunder had cleared the decks, making it slippery with blood. Second squad, provide cover. Mills ordered the half-jog to the chain dragon. First squad, on me, move. As Mills approached the chain down Ristras, he looked up and hop glowing in her eyes. The Imperials had wrapped so many chains around her as thick as his arm, the dragon, and she looked like kind of comical. With her jaws clenched shut, Ristras only blinked her eyes rapidly at the human before her, while trying to struggle out of the heavy chains. <laughs> hey, princess, Mills teased. We're gonna get you out of these chains soon, all right? Just hang in there. <laughs> Cut the chains, Mills ordered his men, while he circled around the dragon to see if there was any easy way to get her out. He also noticed the strange markings on the floor and guessed that it should be some kind of spell to restrain the red dragon's power. Contacts! The second squad leader yelled. They had piled and stacked up the dead Imperials in a gruesome cover and were hunkering behind the bodies and firing at the Imperial archers and crossbowmen that tried to get up on the top of the decks from the pilot house castle. Some of the marine raiders grabbed fallen weapons and hacked against the chains and were unable to break them. 
wrecked this. Mills cursed as his hand tingled painfully after trying to chop the chains away with a borrowed axe. Blow it up, Mills ordered. He winked at the golden eye of the panicked expression of Restraz as she heard his order. Don't worry, love, we'll get you out. <laughs> the men slapped box of explosive all over the chains, and they had used the smallest charges to prevent accidentally blowing up the dragon that they were supposed to rescue along with the change. Fire in the hole. <laughs> A loud crack of metallic ringing was heard, and once the smoke cleared, Mills saw that some of the chains barely broke. What the frick is this made of? He picked up a fragment of the chain and was barely even warm. But the good thing was that at least some of the chains had snapped and they could kind of unroll the chains off our straws. Sarge, they got mages. The second squad leader yelled, they got bloody magic shields. So? We got RPGs, Mills barked back angrily. We win. Seconds later, Mills heard the telltale whoosh of an RPG rocket followed by the loud clap, and the whole barge shook wildly. He turned and saw the large smoking hole in the superstructure of the barge. Magic, my rear, eat RPGs! Mills shook his head. Second squad, clear the structure, see if there's any valuable intel to grab. Aye, aye, the second squad stormed into the superstructure and gunfire resumed. Finally, with the chains loosened, Ristra started squirming as she pushed the loose chains off her body. She moaned in pain and stretched her badly bruised wings and growled at Mills. Are you trying to save me or kill me? She hissed unhappily as she licked her body where the explosives had blown the chains off. What? No thanks, Mills sighed dramatically. What a bad-mannered dragon. You! Ristras could only stamp her tail in anger. Thanks! All right, all right, just teasing you. Mills grinned. Do you think you can fly? Hm! Ristran snorted and tested her wings. I think so. She narrowed her golden eyes in spell formation around her before she pointed a claw at the spot. Destroy that spot, and here, and here too. Mills nodded and had his men plant more explosives. After they detonated the explosives, they saw the below decks had some kind of glowing stones. Whoa, are those mana stones? Destroy it or remove it, Ristras growled. It's powering the magic formation and preventing me from using my magic. Got it. A couple of the marine raiders hopped down the deck and carefully pulled out the large head-sized mana stone out. Ristras immediately felt some of her power return, and she quickly directed the marines to destroy and remove another four more mana stones under the decks. Moles looked at his watch. He could still hear the gunfire happening from in front, but they had spent almost thirty minutes trying to get Ristras out. Any longer, and it would be hard for extraction. All done, he yelled at his men and the red dragon. We need to go soon. Done, Ristras grinned as she flapped her wings happily. The men backed off from her and felt waves of heat emanating from her body. Time for revenge. Revenge, my rear. Moles cursed loudly and fired a flare into the sky. Get your ass to safety. You barely recovered. I won't come and save your ass a second time if you get caught again. Chastised, Ristra stopped emitting her magic out and lowered her head impishly. Blue Thunder is coming to bring us out. Mills glared at the red dragon, twiggling her claws together. You better be good and follow along, or we leave you here. All right, bring those mana stones along, Mills ordered, and grab some of those chains too. I think they're quite valuable, and give me all your explosives. The marine raiders quickly grabbed the large mana stones and a few lengths of chain and stuffed them into the backpacks after emptying them of explosives. The large figure of Blue Thunder suddenly appeared from the smoke as he hovered anxiously over the men. 
his body too large and heavy to land on the damaged barge. Raz, Raz, are you okay? Mills dropped his backpack filled with explosives into the lower deck after lighting the fuse. He grinned as they quickly gathered his men and climbed under the swaying ropes back up to the body of Blue Thunder. Never mess with the UN armed forces. End of chapter. Chapter 274 Disturbance in the Force Great ocean plains. It spat on mouthfuls of bone, dust, and earth as it slivered back from a wave of the relentless advance of the undead. It hissed displeasure at the tasteless souls that it consumed and narrowed its splint eyes at the undead surrounding it. Hish the Lord of Chaos! The embroiled Apep hissed loudly. Hish the Devourer of Souls! Obey me! The undead, heedless of its commands, pressed on against the great serpent, swinging their rusty broken swords and axes against the body of the snake. Normally, such attacks barely dealt any damage to it, but due to the wounds caused by the hellfire, the little pricks done by the undead slowly chipped away at its reserves of power. Earlier in the day, it had found the connection to the most despicable power in the far distance suddenly disappear from its senses. And now, when it was about to go hunt down the Orkins, it had run away from him and encountered these tasteless souls. It decided to vent its frustration and anger on these tasteless souls, since it could not explain why it had lost its connection with the thing it wanted the most. Charred River Wisps of smoke and cries of the wounded and dying echoed down the river. Tajana, commander of the Imperial River Flotilla, sat on the edge of her bed while holding her hand onto a wound on her shoulder. One of the healers bent over her wound and carefully cleaned the wound, before casting a healing spell to regenerate flesh. She gritted her teeth as her flesh and shattered bones knitted back together, painfully, and blinked back the tears of pain and humiliation. The air attacks and the sudden ambush of a strange force, followed by the loss of the red dragon, made her feeling angry and stupid. She had come to the conclusion that the strange flying creatures, the dragon, and even the ambush of unknown force must be linked. They must form in the unknown force that attacked Orwell's point. Her fighting strength over thirty ships and ten thousand sailors, soldiers, and twenty dragons were wilted down to a mere eighteen ships and six thousand men. And of those eighteen ships, half were beached against both sides of the riverbanks to prevent being sunk or blocking the river. Already four of her ships had sunk to the bottom of the river and causing a hazard at any passing ships. She waved the healer away from fussing over her and bandaged the wound up and stood. Her two personal attendants quickly dressed her and helped her into a plate mail. Accepting the cup to numb leaf tea, she quickly drained it and ignored the sharp piercing pain till the extract of numb leaves worked their magic. Feeling the pain flading, she strolled out of her cabin to assess the situation. As she exited, a cluster of senior officers and commanders quickly bowed before her and started to give her reports one by one. She already knew the losses, but she did not know if any of the attackers were still in the vicinity. Lady Tajana, our scouts on both sides of the river did not find any of the attackers, but we found their traces. One of the commanders reported, and he stretched both hands out, offering several shiny objects. Our men found these left behind in the holes of the attackers hidden. Clearly, the ambush was to save the red dragon we caught. Another commander spoke up. they chosen this spot with care, as the river here is at the narrowest. Tatania took one look at the shiny golden cylindrical objects and frowned as she observed it closely. Gold? No. Too light. It's not gold, but some kind of metal. 
The commander replied, We found many of these littering around both sides of the riverbanks. We have no idea what kind of spells those attackers used, but uh, the elderly healer said as the officers and commanders parted away from the body covered in blue cloak, soaked with blood. We suspect that those shiny objects must have been something to do with their attack spells. The healer pulled back the cloak, showing half a naked body with a couple holes in his chest. The body had already turned slightly grey, and the flesh around the finger-sized holes had turned purplish and blackish. They used the same spell that is able to penetrate through our plate mails easily, and please be warned, what I'm about to show you might be too, uh... The healer nervously stammered. Just get on with it, Tachana growled. The healer nodded as he turned his body over and showed two large grizzly holes on the back where the stalking white bones could be seen from the fist-sized holes. Some of the more weak-willed officers coughed and stepped away from sight. Tajana covered her nose and gestured to the healer to turn the body back. What kind of spell can cause such horrific damage? The healer shrugged and handed over a cloudy glass bottle with a few pieces of mangled metal. Titania looked at it and rattled it. And this is... We found this in the bodies of the dead and wounded. The healer continued. But some metal, or some material, like a bolt or an arrowhead. The commanders of the officers looked at each other in worry. So, you are saying that those attackers use some kind of magic that can send these bolts or arrowheads faster than our crossbows and bolts? I, um, it's just a guess, my lady, the healer quickly answered while bowing. Tachana snorted and turned to her chief mage. What do you think? The hooded mage took a glass bottle and peered inside it carefully before answering, it might be possible, after all, magical knowledge is ever-growing, and there is still much unknown magic out there. Not to mention, we do not even hold a fraction of the knowledge of magic our ancestors in our ancestral lands have. I see. Titania frowned. What is everyone's thoughts on our next action? My lady, the flying enemy might come again at any time. One of the commanders commented nervously, and we do not know where their ground forces ran to. <clears throat> my lady, a senior commander stepped up. I think we should call for more reinforcements. We should make a camp and not advance till we have more troops to support us. Another commander stepped up forward. We need more air cover and better air protection. Those flying creatures can hit us while we can't do anything to them. The rest of the commanders muttered their agreement. Titania put her lip in the thin line before nodding. We set up camp here, send word back to my father that we need more men and dragons. Yes, my lady. The commanders bowed as one. Make sure those flying creatures do not surprise us once more. Orwell's Point Marine Stronghold Living Quarters Evelyn laid on her straw bedding and used her senses to ensure that she was totally alone and no one was observing her before she carefully removed the golden idol that she had stolen from inside her bedding. She blew the candle out and, using the light shining from the tiny window, traced her fingers over the simple carved idol of some sort of worm. She felt a tingle in her scalp as she caressed the idol and feeling the idol turning warm in her hand. For some strange reason, she felt some sort of connection to this idol as something inside her was like calling out to her. She couldn't explain the feeling, just that it felt like Dante was next to her telling her something. Suddenly... She jerked her hands away from the aisle, which suddenly scorched her fingers. She stared up in surprise and fright, wondering what had triggered the idol. She carefully poked it with a finger and found it was just warm to the touch, and she quickly wrapped the idol up in cloth and hid it back behind a hiding place. 
She slowly fell asleep. She could feel Dante was like trying to tell her something, something about the darkness that the sun couldn't reach in her dreams. Great ocean plains. The land was churned up, while hundreds of rotting body parts littered all over the land. The serpent was heaving away as its body bore hundreds of nicks and cuts. Suddenly, it snapped its head and lurched towards the north. I feel it. The impatiently snapped its tail, crushing several crawling zombies. It needed to hunt. These tasteless souls were unable to allow it to fully recover its strength. Hush, coming for you, the sun. Gateway City. The John watched the Imperial Infantry, support by dragons, rush the walls again for the second time in the night. He shook his head, and the mages tossed the illumination spells into the sky, which immediately lifted up the surroundings, allowing the archers and ballistas to loose their arrows and bolts at the attacking enemy. Within the magical smoke cover, hundreds of arrows and bolts still found their marks amongst the Imperials. The heavy shipboard ballistas easily punched through the raised shields with enough power remaining to pin several soldiers together. The Imperial dragons, despite more disciplined and tactical, were evenly matched by the Isles' dragons brought by Dijon's two dragon carriers. Each flat top held 30 lightweight and 10 medium-weight dragons. The Imperials' 12 heavyweight dragons and 20 medium-weight escorts found themselves overwhelmed by the sudden appearance of the Isle's battle dragons and the surprised rate of fire of the Isle Dragon crew's crossbow. Dijon grinned, knowing that the Imperial dragons rely on their formations to bowl through the lighter dragons will not expect the battle dragons to be equipped with repeating crossbows. Despite the weaker strength of the repeating crossbows, it was still capable of punching into the scales of a heavyweight dragon. With poison on the tips of the bolts, they could be able to force the Imperial Dragons to retreat to nurse their wounds. Barely two turns of the glass, the Imperials retreated from the battlefield, leaving behind hundreds of dead and dying. The Isles troops, equipped with repeating crossbows and with the superior steel armor of the UN, had lesser casualties. Dijon had a mental note to himself to order another 10,000 repeating crossbows from Haven, he knew if they would be willing to sell them to Thundersticks, he would have won the battle here in just a day. Lord John, the governor of Gateway hustled up to him, as all smiles and tired and ragged face. It is a great victory, marvelous! These weapons of yours, how marvelous! The John nodded crudely at the fawning governor. Don't worry, governor. With me and my men here, you won't have to worry about the Imperials taking over Gateway City. Yes, yes, the governor nodded eagerly. Thank you. I will station my men here to help protect the city. Dijon slightly smiled. I hope you'll provide all the appropriate lodgings and supplies for my men. The governor sweated. You mean to stay? Of course, Dijon's smile widened. If not, how we ought to protect the city from aggressiveness of the Imperials. But, but, the governor stammered weakly. Well, if I pulled my troops back due to lack of supplies and poor lodging, Dijon gave a serious expression. I can't guarantee the Imperials will not come back after we left to get supplies. No, 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 you misunderstand me. The governor quickly reassured Dijon, My granaries have ample supplies. I'll have the barracks cleared for your men to stay. <laughs> Dijon laughed. Good, good. Then I shall thank you for your hospitality. Yes, yes. The governor's expression looked like he had just bitten something bitter. 
Dijon laughed again as the governor's expression, knowing that with the Isle's troops garrisoning Gateway City, it will effectively be under the control of the Isles. <laughs> End of chapter. Chapter 275. Three-Way War. Orwell's Point Marine Command. Joseph straightened up as the video link came to life and saluted to the officers on the other side of the link. Good morning, sirs. The operation to retrieve Restras and the Imperials has gone down successfully. Falcom Company has disengaged from the enemy and is putting back from the skirmish line three kilometers away from the Imperials. Joseph reported. Good. How is Restras doing? Blake asked. We had our dragon handlers take a look at her. So far, she's fine, just shaken and bruised. Joseph replied, she will recover fully in a couple days. Blake nodded, okay. Are the Imperials still pushing down the river? Our scouts are watching them reported that they have dug in an encampment on the riverbanks. Joseph answered, we suspect that they are waiting for reinforcements. Kick them home, hard. They have overstayed their welcome here, Blake ordered. Yes, sir. Now, any news on the missing M.A.W.? Blake asked. No, sir. Joseph frowned. The last contact we had with them was chasing after one of the deserters. After that, we lost all contact. Once Blue Thunder and Ristras have recovered, I will send them down to the last known location of M.A.W. 02. Dead or alive, make sure you find them, Blake said. And what of the snake? Yes, sir. Joseph nodded. We have the UAV on constant surveillance of the snake, and as of this morning, it is dug in an underground to keep away from the sun. It has advanced 73 kilometers over the night closer to our location. It appears that the orc's black magic has failed to keep the monster at bay. Joseph continued. We expect that the snake will hit our first line of defense within two days. We do not have any ideas of why it suddenly changed its heading, but judging by its current direction, I'd say that it's very highly likely it's coming our way. Blake asked, How are your plans going for the defense? We have planned to have the Cobras bomb the snake as it approaches our defensive lines with napalm. The Marines will continue their role in doing supply runs. Joseph said, We've converted two of the half-tracks to gun carriages for the three-inch guns, and also we hooked up a few mortars onto the carriage that will be towed by jeeps. It will greatly improve our mobility and response times. We will use that to bombard the snake from far once it is wounded by the napalm bombs. We identified the only weapons we seem to capable of damaging the snake is napalm firebombs, Joseph added. Hence, we do not plan to use any troops to fight against the snake, as we observe that will be throwing lives for nothing. The marines will keep our order and help the evacuation of the city, if needed, while we hit it from afar with our planes and artillery, Joseph finished. Also, with Dr. Sharon and Magister Thorne's help, we are coming up with a special blend of mortar shells to deal with the snake. But whether it works or not, it remains to be seen. I see, Blake nodded. Do what you need to do. You have plenty of priority on all stocks and production of napalm. Thank you, sir. Joseph smiled. It would be great if there were more mariners to run supplies to Orwell's Point, sir. I know. R&D side is pushing out dedicated cargo haulers that can carry the load of two or three mariners. But we need time. Blake sighed, and time is against us, so we can only use what we have for now. I understand, sir. So, how is the crackdown on the cults? Blake asked. Any breakthroughs? We managed to arrest several of the senior cultists here, Blake answered, but we cannot find out what kind of demon god they are worshipping. 
Seems like they have some kind of guise to prevent them from disclosing that information. We lost four of the senior cultists before we stopped questioning the rest about the identity of the demon gods, Joseph replied helplessly. Magistrate Thorne has yet to find a way to counteract the Gaius. Blake nodded. All right, do what you have to do. Hold all those point if possible. If not, pull back with all your forces. Understand? Aye, aye, sir. Joseph saluted and video link cut off. Well, you all heard the boss. I want the plans of attack by the end of the day. Joseph turned to his staff and ordered one against the Imperials camping at our doorstep, the other one a damn snake crawling its way over. Yes, sir. Hours later, the upper senior command staff gathered back in the command center. Sir, there is a threat from the snake guard is greater than the Imperials camping out here. We have decided to assign all cobras to engage the god snake once we have plotted its course. We will emplace a deep pit in the path of the god snakes and bury its napalm canisters and explosives. The staff officer explained their plan of action. Once the guard snake dropped into the pit, we will detonate all the explosives and name palm inside. Hopefully, it'll be enough to kill it once and for all. But how can you be sure of their falling into the pit? Joseph questioned the action plan. We'll need a lure. Someone has to lure it over to a trap. Great Ocean Plains a long train of wagons escorted by two lines of heavily armored cavalry that rode on one side slowly made their way over to the large expanses of grass rolling in the gentle wind. Taurus sat on the coach seat next to the driver and watched warily at the dark clouds in the far distance. Hopefully this time we won't get captured by slavers again. He joked at the wagon driver who grinned back. The journey over the plains to Sin City will take them roughly two five-day weeks or lesser, as long as no hiccups happen along the way. Taurus wondered if they'll meet the saviors that stayed on in Sin City. Oh well, their fates will as it. We will meet again someday. Shard River Mills carefully threaded his way through the bushes and laid down next to one of the men carefully. Any movements? No, Sarge, the marine raider replied. Looks like they're digging in for good. Any changes to the patrols, Moles asked again as he peeked through his night vision, seeing his world in green and white. The enemy encampment enlarged in his view, showing a simple circular log wall surrounding a camp with guards manning them. Same patterns and routines, his men replied softly. But they are quite alert and the mages appear to have set some arcane traps and tripwires here and here. Too bad we don't have the mortars with us, Moles sighed. Or it would be such a nice easy target to bomb. These men grinned in the darkness, showing the white teeth under the layer of painted faces. All right, keep watch for a while more, Mills slowly backed away. Stay alert. He crawled his way back out and the radio men were hidden behind the tree. Get me the LT. King Falcon, this is Radar 1. We got eyes on the enemy encampment, bravo, Mills reported. It's heavily guarded and seeded with arcane traps and alarms. We can't sneak in easily. King Falcon, Roger. The radio buzzed back. Stand by. Mills handed the handset back to the radio man and pulled out a bar of dried fruit candy to snack on while he waited for instructions. Less than ten minutes later, the radio man's handed the headset back to Mills. Lieutenant is on the line. King Falcon, all forces are to fend an assault on the encampments, the radio said. Draw them out into an ambush. Should enemy fail to respond, harass them till they do. Out. Hell yeah, Mills grinned and went off to find the rest of the company commanders to discuss their attack plans. 
Tatiana, dressed in her sleeping gown, sat on the edge of her bed, fussed over by her two attendants, one of them brushing her golden hair while the other applying some ointment to her wounded shoulder. My lady, your wound shouldn't leave any scars. Her attendant happily informed Tatiana, who nodded absent-mindedly. She was brooding over the fact that the strange enemy had such powerful creatures and magic. She wondered how to defeat this strange force when suddenly yells and cries rang out from the outside of her tent. She brushed her two attendants and strolled out of her tent while her attendants quickly draped her long coat over her shoulders to cover her thin gown. What's happening? Her four house guards in the entrance of the tent gave a quick bow and reported, It seems like the enemy are attacking us, my lady. From where? She demanded as she looked away from the eye-searing illumination spells that were drifting in the air. From the south of the camp, her guards replied just as a couple commanders came running up. The enemy is attacking both of our camps. Both commanders chorused. Their strange magic is killing our men behind the walls. A sudden explosion rocked the camp and a small ball of fire roused from the southern walls. Tatiana covered her ringing ears from the loud thunderous roar. Rush the enemy, close up in them fast as possible. Prevent them from casting their magic. Yes, my lady. The two commanders ran off to give the orders to sally out and fight the enemy. Get me into my armor. She turned and walked back into the tent where her attendants grabbed the armor off the stand. She hastily donned her armor over a sleeping gown and buckled her sword belt while her maids worked on the greaves and barrises. Once she was armored up, she quickly left the tent where a dozen of her house guards awaited her and her land dragon mount. The vicious reptile hissed and cooed as she rubbed its neck before she mounted it back and grabbed the shield from one of the pages. Move! She wheeled her mount towards the south wall where the gates had opened up and forced her way through the crowd of infantry pouring out of the camp and back attacking the enemy. In the dim light of the illumination spells, she saw scores of bright flashes and thunderous roars appearing along the tree line and realized those must be the spells cast by the enemy. Once she and her guards left the camp and with the way before her had been cleared of friendly troops, she drew her sword and pointed at the tree line that was over two hundred paces away and yelled, Forward! The infantry cried out a war cry and then they ran forward with their shields up while Tatiana pushed her mount into a quick trot. She vaguely heard the sounds of metal against metal and saw dozens of men flopping down with dark stains in their armor. Keep your shields up! Don't stop! Close up! Close up! Seeing the distance closing to roughly a hundred paces, she quickened her mount and yelled, Charge! Hundreds of throats cried out as her and they all ran forward. Tatjana, beating the cavalry quickly, overtook the running infantry, and the thundering land dragon made the adrenaline and her blood surge. She screamed loudly with exhilaration as her mount charged faster and faster, and the dark tree lion rushed up before her. Twenty paces, ten paces, and she was into the forest line, peered into the dim lighting of the saw several crouching figures just a short distance away from her. She leaned forward low over a mount and angled her shield in her left arm before her when suddenly she saw a blinding flash and a thunderous roar and something hit her with the force of a mighty hammer. She got flung off the back of her mount and she slammed down on her back as hard enough to knock out the air out of her lungs. As she lay there curled up in pain and gasping for air, a sudden series of thunderclaps erupted behind her and hideous screams rang out from hundreds of throats. End of chapter. 
Chapter 276 High Value Target Mills crouched down next to the section of Marines who were taking pot shots at the Imperial camp. Floating illumination spells had flared backlit the guards and the walls allowing the Marines to easily make accurate shots over less than a 200 meter distance between them. Suddenly, like an anteal, after getting poked, the gates swung open and scores of shield and infantry poured out with a gaggle of cavalry mixed up with the soldiers. All right, boys, Mills yelled happily. Here they come. Let's give the blue boys a nice show. Hurrah! The marines fired faster, barely needing to aim in the thick cluster of troops. The powerful 6.8mm rounds easily ignored the shields and plate mail of the soldiers, and sometimes even the penetrating and hitting the Imperials in the back. Mills watched calmly as the Imperials slowly and steadily formed up and advanced. He might not like the brutality and the ideals of the Imperials, but he got to admit that he admired the guts to continue advancing under rifle fire. Cease fire! Cease fire! Mills and the rest of the NCOs yelled down the line as they watched the Imperial cavalry forming up. Fall back to the second line. Their plan was to entrap the Imperial cavalry amongst the thickest to prevent them from breaking into the lines and allowing the marines to pick them off while they were bogged down. Only a single platoon was committed to the attack while the other platoon had some other mission up the river. This meant that less than 30 men against the estimated two to 3,000 Imperials in the camp. The whole Falcon Company has only a total of 110 men. With the company split in half, two platoons each side of the river, the plan was to use guerrilla tactics to force the enemy out and bleed them until they had no choice but to retreat. The marines fell back in good order, retreating 50 meters from the tree line, and they huddled behind the roots and the tree trunks while waiting for the cavalry to appear before them. Thundering hooves and land dragons pounded louder and louder, and suddenly the illumination provided by the light spells and flares, shadowy figures emerged into the marines' carefully prepared fire zones. Fire! Border rolled down the thin line of marines, and almost immediately a harsh roars of rifle and machine guns rippled out. Mills kept an alert eye around his surroundings, firing a shot at when a centaur-like creature appeared before him and felling the rider. He slapped the marine next to him who held the detonator, which linked the daisy chain of claymores set up in the forest edge. The howls of the Imperials were just steps far away from the claymores, which the detonator was triggered. Over a thousand Imperials carrying wood and steel reinforced shields entered the killing zone and the claymores when they exploded. Forty locally produced DM-1 claymores, all the stock of two platoons were carrying, were planted five meters apart and they occupied a stretch of 200 meters along the tree line. Each was filled with 703.8 millimeter steel ball bearings, detonating almost simultaneously as one when the electrical signal sparked in the inner bursting charges. 28,000 steel ball bearings were flung out at an average velocity of 1,020 meters per second over a 60-degree arc in front and were lethal to an effective range of 100 meters. Like an invisible slap to the mighty god's hand, a loose ranks and charging imperials crumbled as 28,000 steel ball bearings ripped into their bodies. Those that were behind luckily survived the frag blasts and only to suffer from traumatic stress disorder from seeing hundreds of their comrades frayed into meat shreds and blood mists before their very eyes. Even those that avoided the sudden death screamed in pain and terror from the lost limbs and body parts. Others laid down on blood and soaked grass crying for their parents amongst the pieces of mangled bodies. Frick! 
Moles whispered. It wasn't the first time seeing hundreds of men dying here at the scene, always fricked with his sanity. He quickly put the scene out of his mind and yelled, Platoon 3, advance. Hurrah! Tajana stared at the dying glow of the illumination spell drifting between the cracks of the forest canopy and coughed wetly. She could only move one hand up as she wiped her mouth with a gauntleted hand and saw her fingers came away dark red. She tried to move her body and sit in position, and she barely had the strength. Turning her head to the side, she saw her left arm bloodied and bent in an unnatural angle, and the shards of her broken shield sticking out from her mangled bracer. Giving up trying to move, she sighed and returned her eyes to the skies as a hideous face in black and green came into her dimming vision. Are you death? Merle stood over the Imperial and was surprised to find it was female. He vaguely remembered he fired at someone and around the spot and wondered if he shot her. Her golden hair, freckled with blood and dirt, spread out underneath her like some kind of tapestry. Her left arm, clearly broken, ran from the angle. It laid it in a broken shield. She must have tanked the rifle shot and knocked her off her mount. She whispered something too soft for him to hear and stood over her. Mills looked at her eyes, slowly rolling upwards and sighed. He glanced up at the roars of rifle fire and the tree line and knew that the Imperials were being mocked up in full retreat. He also saw the glow of flames in the distance and knew that the other platoon had succeeded in burning the river barges beached in the riverbanks. He reached down and felt a pulse and a pale neck. Feeding a weakening pulse, he sighed. Damn, I just can't stand seeing a pretty girl die, even if she is the enemy. Mole stood up and sighed. What a waste. Damn girls shouldn't be playing with swords. He stood a few steps away from the dying girl before stopping and turning around again. Ugh, medic. Lieutenant Silverstar nimbly crawled his way over the rope slung across the river and dropped down with barely a change in his breathing. Sir, the officers and NCOs greeted the company commander as they gathered on the riverbank. What's the situation on your side? Lieutenant Silverstar made way for another marine as his men on the other side of the river slowly crawled over the tight rope. Casualties. The Imperials are in full retreat, Mills reported. We estimated the ambush last night cost him around five to six hundred men. We only have a few minor wounds and tripping and idiots poking themselves in the dark. Mills continued, nothing too serious. The men are down to a third of their ammunition reserves, one of the NCOs added. All our clay moles are used up and the RPGs are down to the last shots. We are occupying the camp and inventorying what is usable and what is not. Mills said next, we plan to burn whatever we don't need and unable to carry. Lieutenant Silverstar nodded. It's the same on my side. They are next to full retreat, tallying up their losses here on my side. We probably inflicted close to 30% of the remaining power here. Not to mention, we dealt a serious blow to the morale. Sir, we got some prisoners too, Mills added. What are we going to do with them? Wounded? Lieutenant Silverstar asked. We do have quite a few wounded Imperials on the other side. I just plan to give them some supplies and drop them off in one of the still floating barges and let them paddle home. Understood. Mills nodded at a command party heading towards the camp. We should be able to clear the camp out in a couple hours. Good. We will leave two of the barges and burn the rest that hasn't been burned. Lieutenant Silverstar ordered. While the Imperials might be running, if they ready up again and push hard, wheat will be hard for us to extract out. Platoon 2 are loading up on the other side of the river. Lieutenant Silverstar continued. Once they have loaded everything, they will move to the barge over to the side of the river. 
Mills nodded as they entered the camp. Sir, there's a prisoner I think you'll want to see. Oh, Lieutenant Silverstar raised an eyebrow at Mills' words. An HVT. They entered the large, extravagant tent where a couple marines stood and watched outside. Inside the tent, Lieutenant Silverstar was surprised to see two maids dressed in fashionable native dresses that were totally out of place on a battlefield, tending to someone on the bed. That, as I gathered from the maids, Mill spoke in a lowered voice next to Lieutenant Silverstar, is the darling daughter of the Rothschild family who is big shots running the show in North Salm City. Her name is Tatiana Rothschild, Mills added, and I think I am the one who shot her, but don't tell her that. <laughs> Lieutenant Silverstar laughed at Mills's embarrassed expression. Okay. The maids glared angrily at the sudden laughter from Silverstar, who disturbed the rest of their mistress. Lieutenant Silverstar ignored the dagger stares from the maids and strolled up next to the large ornate bed. He used to think that owning something like this on the battlefield was something natural. But after going through boot camp and officer cadet school, it was lamented the waste of resources needed to transport such a useless item onto the battlefield. Miss Rothschild, Lieutenant Silverstar greeted the blonde-haired girl laying on the bed with a shoulder and bandages and covered in blankets while Mills hovered closely behind him. I am Second Lieutenant Silverstar, Commanding Officer of Falcon Company, 2nd Marine Battalion. <laughs> the girl rolled her eyes and turned her head away in disdain. Cough. Mills covered his laughter behind the barely suppressed cough which made Lieutenant Silverstar glare at him. Mills quickly looked away innocently. Miss Rothschild, you are now a prisoner of war. Lieutenant Silverstar turned back and spoke to more serious tone. It is to your best interest to cooperate with us or... Uh, he left the threat unsaid. The two maids tensed up and quickly pushed Lieutenant Silverstar back away from the bed and their mistress. They glared angrily at him. You dare threaten the mistress? Mills suddenly laughed wickedly and drew a sword bayonet out. Well, if a soft approach doesn't work, don't blame us for going hard on you girls. He brandished his bayonet threateningly while advancing in an evil manner before the two maids who, to his surprise, stood to the ground despite the fear in their eyes. <laughs> Enough! Titania suddenly spoke and gestured to her mates to the side. What do you want, you scoundrels? Lieutenant Silverstar glared at Mills, who winked back and sheathed his bayonet before sighing and turning to Tijana. We will give you two choices. Tell your men to surrender and give up advancing towards Orwa's point immediately. We will allow you and your men to retreat back to Norshelm. Impossible! Tijana didn't even consider his words at all. All Wells Point is a fight for the Rothschild. We will never give it up. You scoundrels will never be able to use me to fulfill your evil deeds. She growled until she clenched her arm in pain as she overexerted herself. Lieutenant Silverstar looked at Mills, who shrugged. Yes, there's nothing to talk about. Well, then, the last option is that you'll be kept as a prisoner of war until your side decides to negotiate your release. End of chapter and that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you did, please consider supporting the author from the link down below. Otherwise, if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways to do so, like liking, subscribing, and possibly even becoming a patron. Otherwise, the easiest way would be to share. And until the next video, I hope that you all have a good one, and I'll see you then. Cheers.